into episode 168 of the Cricket Hill Weekly. As you can see, we are at Worcester. It's the aftermath of the final and Vipers have just won yet another trophy. And um, it was pretty easy going for them in the end, wasn't it, Sid, against the Blaze today after the resumption um, with Blaze being four down overnight with 50 odd on the board. Yeah, it was. I mean, the Vipers players right now are up on the balcony behind us and they're, they're celebrating this music and cheering and they're clearly absolutely delighted with it. They're not getting bored of winning trophies anytime soon. Um, yeah, I mean, the game in a sense was over at the, at the point that we left the field yesterday, wasn't it? And there, were, there was a lot of confusion though, wasn't there yesterday? Because at the point we left the field, <laughs> we didn't even know there was going to be a reserve day, did we, Raf? Yeah, correct. You were going around telling people, <laughs> including the whole of Twitter, that actually, um, if they didn't get back on, then Blaze were going to win because we thought that it was if you'd if you finished top of the group stages, then you automatically got the trophy. Um, and then suddenly um, we became aware that there was a reserve day. And so it was on the phone to the nearest Premier Inn to scrabble around trying to find somewhere because once the second thunderstorm came, I think we all realised that no, we weren't going to be getting on back on yesterday. And to be honest, I have to say, enormous credit to everyone here at Worcestershire for actually getting the final back on today because um, as we understand it, the ground staff were up really early this morning um, after having the night to, to try and dry the ground out they were out there really early um, in doing a mopping up operation essentially um, and there was still a question mark about whether it was going to get played today whether we were going to be able to resume obviously for, to, from some for, in some respects the Blaze fans may have been hoping <laughs> that it didn't because they weren't resuming in a very good situation but I just want to say thank you um, to the Worcestershire ground staff because we definitely have had situations within a few years um, as, as recently as a few years ago where ground staff would have gone oh well it's just a women's cricket match and we're not bothered and that absolutely was not the case today um, and you know everybody coming back today was also really well looked after from a media perspective it's expensive to have a reserve day I believe this is the first ever um, finals day domestic final in England where it's ever gone to a reserve day um, and the arrangements were put in place rapidly and with um, with great success so I think we should say we should be saying a really big thank you um, and the you know the, the the most important thing, perhaps, about getting back out there today was that it let Anja Shrubsole finish her career for Southern Vipers in style because what an anticlimax it would have been if um, you know, Blaze had won the trophy and Anja Shrubsole hadn't been able to bowl her final over today. Um, and that just would have been a, a, a not a great way to finish her career, but instead she got to go out there, um, you know, play one more time um, and take home one more trophy and win the Player of the Match award as well. Yeah, the player of the match award. Because I mean, you know, in some ways, if you're Danny White, you're looking at that and going, um, "Hello, <laughs> I smashed 50 runs off 30 balls, <laughs> me." But she's not going to be doing that today. Um, you know, I, we were speculating, obviously, when Anya led the team onto the field yesterday, that led to the speculation that this might be her last game. Um, and you know, so that turned out. She confirmed that in the the post-match announcements. She was she was in tears as she was announcing it. And I'm not going to lie, I was sitting up up there in the in the press area and I was there was a tear rolling down my cheek yeah. as well 
because I mean she's just she's just such a fantastic person yeah. and you know she's she's the, such a sort of selfless person and she just she just gives so much and I, I do hope that she remains within the game and you know that this is, this won't be the last we see of her completely because she's such a valuable person to have as part of the game and you know her her passion and her commitment but it's more than anything you know it's like her modesty and um, I just yeah just I'm on like that words. just on that actually I just did a quick interview with her um, after the match and. And I said to her, you know, when did you decide that you were going to retire and when did you tell the girls? And she said, oh, it's sort of been a, a slow process throughout this season. Um, I've just been in a bit more pain um, and I decided that it was time. And um, I told the girls on Friday because it just felt like I needed to tell them ahead of finals day. And I did not expect them to make it so obvious. She, you know, and that shows that she is um, the kind of person who she didn't want to fuss. She didn't want any of this hoo-ha, and I think she was quite taken aback by people picking up on this um, fact that it was her last game. She would rather, almost in a way, of it just have gone under the radar. And as you say, she was struggling with those emotions in the post-match interview because I think she was a bit surprised that people were actually, um, you know, were actually bothered about it in, in a kind of oh, but it's just I already retired from England, and this is just the kind of natural end of my career. And because she she is a modest person, and I think and I think that showed it. But I'm really glad that, that, that the team did make a fuss of her and did get her to lead them out onto the field that last time and, um, and did make it obvious because I think that that meant that she's got the headlines now that she deserves. And of course we are going to see her playing in the 100 and that's going to be um, kind of you know, even more exciting in a way and there will be a lot of hype then around her last match. But it was actually kind of really nice to be here in a sort of slightly retro, um, not many people here, um, kind of quite low-key moment, but still to be here to, to say that we were, we were at the end and we saw Anna Shropsov's last ever outing in a Viper shirt. Especially, yeah. especially nice for you, Sid, as a, yeah. as a kind of long-term Vipers fan, hey? Yeah, and I've been watching Anya for a long time, you know, and she's always been very committed to the team she's played for. She carried on playing for, for Somerset for years and years. It, there was ECB pressure for her to move to a different side because they wanted her to be playing for a Div 1 side back in the days of the Old Kent Championship when there was the Kent Championship was divided into several divisions. She always resisted that pressure, um, and, you know, and she eventually, after professionalisation came over, when she finished with England, came over to Vipers, and took this player coach role and has really kind of owned that role yeah. and and it's, yeah, I, I have no more words about it Raph but what about the Blaze let's yeah, talk a bit about, talk about the Blaze because there the were a few emotions there as well yeah. they Kirsty Gordon you know stood up in the in the post-match and you know I mean exactly as, as you would expect she was like you know full credit to, to the Vipers you know they were the better side on the day but you know she was clearly kind of fighting back the tears herself I think um, yeah I had a bit of a, a tough tough day for, for her and for that team after a fantastic season yeah I did um, manage to have a bit of a chat to her as well and as you say she was um, she had been crying a bit and I think it's a tough one to take for her as captain after them having been so dominant in the group stages to then come out and feel like they really hadn't given a very good showing in the final and I think that that's it it's you know you can have finals where you're just outplayed by a better team um, but you can also have finals and I think this one was an example of that where you just don't really give your best um, and you just don't really show what you're about as a unit um, and the Blaze have not um, been so dominant in this competition by playing like they played today in the final that isn't how they've been batting and, and it was just quite it was just quite odd the way they totally went into their shells with the bat and they must have known coming out today you know 50 odd for four um, with 
uh, yeah, halfway through their innings, um, with 10 overs left to actually put a decent total on the board, they needed to get to 150. If they had got to 150, um, then with those few Vipers wickets falling at the end, they could have put real pressure on them. But they just lost it with the bat, and um, after that power play with um, Meyer and Danny White, it was just not it's just not going to happen. So I think that partly Kirsty Gordon's upset because she feels that they um, they didn't kind of put their best foot forward. But I think it is also a learning experience. And you know, ultimately, what um, the reason that Vipers won is because they know how to play finals. They know how to play finals days. And yesterday in the semi-final against the Thunder, they were so calm. And then in the, in the final, and then with the disrupted final, it just didn't seem to phase them at all. Um, they know what they're doing. They know how to play in a finals day. And, and teams like the Blaze and the Thunder, um, this is a new experience for them. And so I do think that there is something to be said in um, just kind of going, okay, well, we'll put this one up to experience and we'll put, our, you know, put a brave face on it and we'll look to thinking about future finals day. Um, we've still got the final of the Rachel Hayhurst Trophy to come this season and then there'll be plenty more future seasons. Yeah, I wonder, do you think, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but are we seeing evidence today of now that, that the um, winning the ladder stages in, the, in these kind of finals days we're seeing where there's only one semi-final, winning the ladder stages, is, is that looking increasingly like it's a poison chalice? Because Vipers were able to, to come out yesterday and um, against Thunder, you know, Thunder, uh, at, the, at the end of the, their innings, Thunder yesterday, were going at nine and over. They were, they were and yet they were going at nine and over. <laughs> it was slipping away from them. Um, because, you know, Vipers had been able to kind of assert some authority and go, look, even though Thunder played really well, we, we totally owned that anyway. Mm. So Vipers have worn such a role of confidence going into that last game. And, you know, does, have we really seen that actually finishing second or third is a bit of an advantage? Um, well, I think it's difficult to say. I do think that yesterday um, for Vipers it was handy having played in that semi-final um, because they did look a lot more kind of a, sort of tuned in to the conditions. Um, so that obviously does create a certain level of advantage. Um, but I, I, I still stick with what I just said. I think that for, for Vipers um, it's about having been at finals day before and knowing that the pressure and being able to deal with that and just and just being so calm in how they went about it. I mean, you know, Maya Boucher and Danny Wyatt at the top of the order, just not a trace of nerves um, anywhere to be seen. Um, and that's impressive. Um, I do, I think some of that comes from the top. Some of that comes from um, having a coach who's very calm um, and an assistant coach who's pretty calm and knows what she's about. Um, and as, as you've said, like, let's hope that they retain the services of Andy Shrobsall because she's given such a lot to this team and such a lot to cricket. And we really need people like her um, in, in, our, in our sport, I think. Um, anyway, so, final stay. You're happy, Sid. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel sorry for the Blaze because it's, you know, it's a cruel world where you, you know, you, you win the group stages so emphatically, including obviously beating the Vipers because they beat everybody. And then, you know, you don't walk away with a trophy. But that's the way the system is set up. You need, you need to deal with the pressure of finals day. And at the end of the day, they just weren't able to do that. They really need to come out this morning, all, all guns blazing, as I wrote in my piece. Um, pun completely intended. <laughs> and, you know, they just, they just didn't do that. And, you know, it looks like Marie Kelly was told to try and anchor the innings and for everyone else to try and bat around her. And she looks like she did her job. I mean, I haven't spoken to them, but that, that you know, from afar, that looks like what, what they were trying to achieve. And the people around her just didn't kind of do the more aggressive role that they were supposed to play. And so it just didn't work out for them. And at the end of the day, I mean, they did make the expected total from where they were. You know, you can pretty much double your total and add six or seven after, you know, from your 10 over total to the, to the end of it. And it just wasn't enough, as we know. 
anyway so but uh, but a wonderful day for the vipers and they're still celebrating i can still i can still hear the songs being sung now one team who won't be celebrating um, after the back end of the Charlotte Edwards Cup competition are the Sunrisers um, who finished bottom of the table. Um, unfortunately a, a spot in, in points tables where they are familiar with being. <laughs> and um, there was a very strange thing that happened um, a few days ago, Sid. Um, it was 90 minutes, 90, exactly 90 minutes before the start of their final um, Charlotte Edwards Cup group game. Um, the result was irrelevant because Sunrisers were already out of it and um, they announced um, just suddenly um, that they were changing captain and that Kelly Castle Services as captain were being dispensed with and that they were bringing in Donny van Neerkoek to captain for that final game um, and presumably for the Rachel Hayhoe Trophy um, when that resumes in a, after a, a couple of weeks break. Um, yeah, it was all very strange, Sid, and um, one has to reflect and think that all is not happy within the Sunrisers camp at the moment. No, I mean, okay, so, I mean, just on, this, on this, the subject of the way that it was announced, I mean, the fact that it was announced so quickly to the game, I mean, it's clear that, that was, it was not a decision that anybody had necessarily thought very much about. There's, there's clearly been some sort of incident or issue, you know, and such a last minute change, you know, with us, as you had one, one game to go in the tournament and it was an irrelevant game from their perspective. It was still relevant from Viper's perspective, but it was relevant from their perspective. And to do that, it's just like, it just feels like the whole thing's been, you know, whoever's responsible for the management there, unfortunately, has not done their job because, you know, at the end of the day, the management is responsible for things like, you know, this, these things working smoothly, right? So, you know, if we got to the end of the Charlotte, the Charlotte Edwards Cup campaign and they'd left it a week and then they'd gone, okay, after reflection, uh, you know, Kelly Castle has decided to step down from the captaincy and we've decided to appoint Darnay Van Neerkoek for the end of the season. You know, that's the way that you do things, you know, in, in a proper way. And I, I'm going to be up front here because I said on, on this podcast, you know, a few months ago that I didn't think that Kelly Castle should be Sunrise's captain. Um, I, I, I thought that, that she should have been asked to step down quietly, you know, over the winter break and they should have made Grace Griffin's captain at that point. Um, you know, that appeared like the right move at the time. Um, but given where we are, you know, they obviously decided not to make that decision. That, that's totally their prerogative. And you, you can certainly argue that that was a, a reasonable decision. I mean, Grace hasn't had a great season. Um, obviously, things could have been different if she'd mm. been the captain, but she hasn't had a great season. But, you know, once you've made that decision that this is our captain, to, to end up in a situation where that captaincy is being changed 90 minutes before a yeah. game starts, that, that's, that's not a good position for the management to have got themselves in. And however that situation has come about, and we, we have no inside information, we're not keeping anything back from you guys here, there honestly is no inside information, but however that's, that situation has been arrived at, it shouldn't have been arrived at that, and the management needs to take some responsibility for that because it always feels like with you know the, the management are the ones that kind of can just swan through this. You know the managers aren't the ones losing their jobs over this, um, and that, that just doesn't doesn't feel right to me. Um, um, yeah, and I think that um, the interesting thing um, from a from a kind of external perspective looking in is the fact that it does it does strike you as very shoddy treatment of somebody who's one who is one of your established senior professionals um, that is not the way to uh, to treat somebody who is kind of one of the backbones 
of your team. And as you say, to do that um, in in a way that actually, I, I can't think that this is what was what would have been um, chosen by Kelly Castle. I, I cannot, I cannot think that this is how she would have chosen to step down from the captaincy. No, absolutely um, not. And therefore, that suggests that um, that it's been done kind of almost. Um, Something else has happened. Yeah. Something has happened. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing is that's a bit weird. I mean, we can say all we like. Oh, Danae van Nierkerk has been a great captain for South Africa, a great captain at international level, and she has an enormous amount of captaincy experience to bring to the table. And that's all well and good. So of and course, true. And true. Yeah. So, of course, you use that um, on the field. Um, in your Sunrisers matches, and they have certainly been utilising her. She's been moving the field around, it's been very obvious that she's been playing a large role in that. But the captaincy isn't just an on-field position, the captaincy is also an off-field position. And um, it doesn't make any sense, really, to have your captain as somebody who isn't going to be here over the winter. Um, and we don't even know what her contractual situation is in terms of is she going to be here for the whole of the Rachel Hayhoe Flynn. Obviously she's going to be here for the 100, that's a big payday for her. Over the winter she's then going to want to go and play in WBBL, in the Women's Premier League in India. Um, and so Caribbean she's not, Premier League yeah, is also another option. So she's that... not going to be around to do um, the, the kind of off-field stuff for the Sunrisers that you really need her to be doing. And so it's just such a strange decision. Um, it just, just doesn't really make any sense um, from yeah, a kind a, of team management perspective. It's a very short-term decision driven, you know, and, and I agree that on the field it makes sense and, and Dana has been a successful captain for South Africa and she was successful at, at the Invincibles but bringing together the Invincibles for a few weeks in a, in a franchise competition is a very different proposition as a captain to kind of mm. repairing a, a damaged regional outfit is much more of a long-term thing and as you say she's almost certainly not going to be there over the winter because quite rightly from her perspective she'll be chasing those other gigs yeah um and you know honestly chasing the dollar because that's what she needs to do to, to make sure that she puts herself in the right situation to you know go forward with her life once her career is finished so you know she's going to make those decisions and then you know sunrises are going to have to make more, more and different decisions back here but you know if they're seeing it just as a stopgap and you know it's going to in September they're going to make an additional announcement then you know that's probably where where we're going to go because let's face it they're going to have to make an, another announcement anyway at some stage you know Donny van Nierke is not a long-term solution here you would imagine yeah. unless she's planning to take up some sort of player coach role a la, a la Anja Shrubsol which I mean is, is a possibility I suppose but you know I think that it just doesn't seem to have been thought through yeah. as you say it's not a decision that's been made for the long term and really sunrisers need to be thinking strategically how how do we get ourselves away from this position of always finishing last and this is not something that's being done strategically this just feels like it just smacks of very short-term thinking and that's not what sunrisers need so you know i guess they need to sort themselves out a bit yeah. sounds harsh but that's what they need to do Okay, Sid, we have, moving away from uh, regional cricket um, for a minute, we know that the uh, England women's Ashes squad um, is being announced actually tomorrow, so on Monday. So um, this time tomorrow, roughly speaking, we'll know who is um, in the, uh, I guess they'll have a separate test squad, um, but they might possibly announce the ODI and the T20 squads at the same time. So we will know who is going to be facing Australia in the ashes um, in just a couple of weeks time very exciting so I'm going to ask you Sid do you think that we're going to see any surprises in particular let's think about that test squad any surprises 
Well, I, I don't think any surprises are very likely for me. I think that, you know, there's there are definitely some, some openings that could come later in the series for me. And, you know, I think it's definitely possible that um, Danny Gibson in particular, you know, she, she has to make an England debut this year, you'd have thought. Whether that's in the Ashes or later on in the, in the September series against Sri Lanka. Mm. Um, but I think that, that that one's coming. But I think that the, the selections are likely to be probably more conservative for the test. Okay. Um, I guess the other the other big question mark in terms of selections is someone that has is not a debutant, but are they going to select Izzy Wong? Mm. That's a really interesting question. Izzy Wong's been been literally on the side of Tower Bridge yeah. this week. Um, you know the the ECB put a huge projection onto Tower Bridge, and Izzy Wong was up there. She's in all the marketing materials, and yet her form out here on the field. Not just, not just at Worcester, all grounds. <laughs> has been not good. And honestly, on form, she doesn't merit a place in the squad. But are the, the selectors, are, are Heather Knight and uh, Jonathan Lewis, going to be under pressure from the marketing department to include Izzy Wong, even though her form mm. hasn't been great? Yeah, yeah. It's a tough question. Um, I guess the one of the other questions that's maybe been settled this week by a, a particular intra-squad match, we don't have the whole scorecard available to us, but... Um, Lancashire put out a tweet, didn't they, saying that Emma Lamb had made, what was it, 197 opening the batting for um, one of those um, intra-squad sides. So if you're asking who's going to be opening the batting for England in the test, I'd say she's put down a fair marker for herself. Um, she did open in the test last year against South Africa. Um, so she, I suppose she's kind of in sort of the, the incumbent, if you like, but we don't really have incumbents in women's tests because they're not played often enough. So I would think though that that, that innings has probably sealed her spot, um, but the rest of it is potentially up for grabs. I'm a bit like you. I think that if there are gonna be any um, sort of new faces, then they're much more likely to play them in the T20 leg of the series. Um, and Danny Gibson is the obvious candidate having been the um, reserve for the World Cup. Um, you did have a few, um, you'd done your two Charlotte Edwards Cup um, rankings pieces though, Sid. Was there anyone else from either of those two pieces who you think perhaps might um, merit selection um, based on based on performances in this competition? Yeah, I mean, for me, the one person that, that you might want to look at, and I don't I don't think that this is, this is necessarily the right decision, but you might want to look at Grace Hall. Uh, that's, that's because she offers something a, li a little bit different. There's a couple of reasons for potentially looking at her. Um, you know, she is a, a, a right arm medium pacer, but she's got this sort of very round arm, slingy, malingerish action. Malingerish action. Do you like that? Um, that was a, for, for all um, for all people who are listening audio only. I just did my very basic demonstration of Grace Hall's extremely slingy action. Yeah, I'm not sure she makes that noise when she. <laughs> That was perhaps a little unfair to her. No, I, was just, I was just, it just, it feels like her arms sort of whirl around like a helicopter. So I was making the helicopter noises. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, um, I think that, you know, she does offer something different because um, she's got a very good Yorker and she'll, she'll kind of bring it slightly into the bats, batsman or batter, sorry, um, you know, at a Yorker length and that makes it awkward coming coming from such a low trajectory. It's, it's kind of the, the, the opposite of, you know, facing a Lauren Bell or a Mahika Gur. So, you know, there's a possibility there. It would also kind of throw a little bit throw the cat among the pigeons in terms of, you know, Australians, what the Australian um, analysts and things are working on in the next mm. two weeks. You throw her in, suddenly, you know, the, the Australian coach and skipper are telling their analysts to go and spend three days looking Trawling at Trawling through at every, every play. Yeah looking at every delivery she's delivered in the Charlotte Edwards Cup and trying to work her out. And that obviously takes their attention away from other things. So there might be a bit of mind games in doing something like that as mm. well. You never know.
Okay, well, we'll find out this time tomorrow, along with everybody else. Um, and I guess next week will be a full-on Ashes preview ahead of the test. It's coming up on us quickly, Sid. But for now, you're going home happy, Vipers are going home happy, and we'll see you in a week's time. Bye! Bye.